0: So first Sunday, as truly, officially, one of the pastors here at Bethel, I just began to think, okay, Lord, what do you, what do you have for your people today? What do you need for them to hear? What do you need for them to, to know? And so I just want to start by saying, first and foremost, there are duties, there are responsibilities that I have that come along with the, the office of the title of being the lead pastor. But also, there are things that you are responsible for as well. And so today, I just kind of want to share a message with you. A few years ago, I wrote an article called Four Things Your Pastor Needs From You. That has been modified, adjusted, tweaked for today. Uh, it's four things that your pastor needs from you. But I want to start here. Chick-fil-A puts the fast in fast food, right? I mean, they they excel at what they do, but that does not happen by accident. And please hear me when I say this, I'm not trying to compare Chick-fil-A to Bethel Baptist Church. They're two totally separate entities. But there are some parallels that we should see. First and foremost, we're not in the business of microwaving disciples. Actually, there is no microwave at Chick-fil-A, but there's no we can't just put them on a fast track. It is a growth process that happens over time. And so that doesn't just happen by accident. So this morning I want you to see as we begin this message Some of the things that I learned at Chick-fil-A and how they could apply here at Bethel, okay? So first and foremost, the reason Chick-fil-A is who they are is because everyone works together to get the job done. Now, here's where some parallels come about. There and here, it takes a team that shows up. It takes a team. For example, I mean, it took the praise team. It took the tech team. It took... You know, somebody's cutting the air conditioning on last night so it's cool enough in here, right? It takes somebody paying the bills. It takes a lot. It takes somebody cutting the grass. It takes someone cleaning the building. It takes a team to do ministry. It also involves individuals understanding their assignment. Chick fil A understands their assignment. Amen. Do we, as believers at Bethel Baptist Church, do we understand our assignment? I hope you will after today's message. So it takes a team showing up, it takes individuals understanding their assignment, and then it takes those same individuals executing their duties. Last, it takes all of them working together. So it takes a team, it takes individuals knowing and understanding their assignment, executing the duties of which they've been given, and it takes all of them working together. Very simply, at Chick-fil-A, one of the things that they believe in is called the core four. So very simply, your job at the core four is that you're going to smile, you're going to speak in a friendly tone, you are going to make eye contact and find a way to say my pleasure. And let me just tell you what, saying my pleasure is you you have to kind of you can't just say it like willy-nilly, right? You gotta find like that place that it's supposed to go. So you smile, you make eye contact, you speak in a friendly tone, and you look for a way to say my pleasure. But here's the thing I want you to know long before Truett Cathy invented the chicken sandwich and started Chick-fil-A, he 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 was being refined at the dwarf house. Right? Just like in life, just like in ministry, there are no overnight successes. The, the sins that you deal with in your life, you have to deal with the repercussions of those. They don't just go away overnight. And so just like with true Cathy, he was refining serving people. He was refining that sandwich. And then out of that, Chick-fil-A was born. Actually, side note, not in my notes, but did you know that I think it was the Waffle House? No, Huddle House, one of the two. They used to sell Chick-fil-A sandwiches. Could you imagine if you could get a Chick Fil A? It wouldn't be very good, and that's the reason they no longer sell them is because they could not maintain the quality. But anyway, so long before Truett Cathy started Chick Fil A, there was another organization where he learned his core values, and that was his church. As y'all well know, Chick Fil A was founded on Christian principles, and so as we think today, there are certain things that I'm supposed to be doing. But what should you do? What are your responsibilities? What are your duties as a member, as someone who attends Bethel Baptist Church? So I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word, whether in physical form or on your phone, via app. And I want you to turn to the book of First, Thess- uh, I can't, sorry, First Thessalonians. There we go. So, go to First Thessalonians y'all know we were in Romans chapter twelve, so go past Romans first and second Corinthians. Then the way I learned this was g e p c what general Electric Power Company, so Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then you will find first Thessalonians while you're turning there this morning, I want you to f- turn to First Thessalonians chapter five, A little bit of background of where we are in the text to set the tenor and the tone of where we are. It was written by Paul. And it's a church that he started two or three er- years earlier. So we're reading a letter. It's not his, I mean, in essence, it is a historical document, but it's not like the book of Acts. That is the book of history, how the first church was birthed. But he's writing to this young church, and he's hoping to strengthen them in their faith and to assure them of Christ's return. The ultimate goal is that they may mature in their faith. And that, my friends, is my prayer for you. That there, there are you in this room this morning, there were those in the first service that though they may have been in church the majority of their life, there's some maturity that needs to take place. Just because you're old and, and, and or excuse me, you're a precious senior saint and you have, you know, gray hair does not mean that you've reached the pinnacle of where God wants you to be. There's still things that he wants you to learn. There's still things that he wants you to do. And so as you're turning there, let me just remind you too, kind of as we, we're in chapter 5, so what's happening in the first part of this book? Well, first off, Paul, as he does in many of his letters, he starts with words of affirmation. He's thanking them. Hey, I appreciate your strong faith, your, your good reputation. Listen, Miss Jenny uh, Taylor, who just passed away, I'll never forget, Austin and I went to minister to her. And one day we walked in and she said, do you know of Bethel Baptist Church? And I'm thinking, oh, yeah. I know the people at Bethel Baptist Church, right, because our reputations precede us. They precede you individually, but also Bethel. Hey, I've been a part of a church in this community. I could take you to there are more people that used to attend that church than do. It was amazing to me that I would find all these people who used to attend there, but now they don't. So Paul is, is talking to me saying, hey, I appreciate your strong faith. I appreciate your good reputation. He's reviewing their relationship with one another. And then the core of this letter that he's writing is exhortation and comfort. In essence, he's giving them practical advice for Christian living. That exhortation, what does it mean to exhort? An exhortation, it is strongly urging them. In essence, he's trying to ignite a fire under them. He's trying to remind them of who saved them and what they've been saved 2. And he's asking them to please God with their daily living. He's reminding them of the hope of the resurrection to be prepared at all times and that they are raised to a newness of life. And then we find this passage. And as we find this passage, it's really his final instructions and the benediction. So look with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You'll find these two similar words in verses 12 and 13. Paul says, we ask you, brothers to respect those who labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. May the Lord bless the reading of his word in this message. So listen, as we begin to unpack this, again, he's talking to a young Thessalonica community of believers and they were not a- adequately appreciating and respecting their leaders. Here, here's the thing. He, this is still applicable today. I mean, Bethel is not a church that's two or three years old. It's, two or, it's 200 plus years old. It's the 16th oldest, according to someone I talked to recently, it's the 16th oldest Baptist church in the state. So we have a history. But at times, are we appreciating and respecting the leaders that are over us? Paul is here again giving those exhortations on community life and relationships, of which he is weaving the truths of the gospel throughout this letter. Paul directs believers to respect church leadership. John Stott called this section of Scripture how to be a gospel church. And friends, we must remember that God has called and placed leaders within his church, pastors and elders, to shepherd his people. And Christ has delegated to these pastors the responsibility of the oversight for his sheep. As I began to think on this this week, first and foremost, I've been given the title of lead pastor, but I have to earn the right to lead you. Just like in your secular jobs that you hold, just because someone has a title does not mean that they're going to be able to get and push and move people forward. Amen? Amen. They may be they may be doing it for the wrong reason. They may not have the influence that they think that they have. And so I know, without a doubt, I didn't come in. It wasn't a 100% vote. There were 112 votes cast, and there were 13 no's. That's okay. I love those 13 people. Maybe they were right. I don't know. We'll see what God wants to do. Amen? We're going to keep plowing ahead. And so look with me. Let's unpack this text really quick. So 1 Thessalonians 5. 12 through 13. First, Paul says, we ask you, brothers, as he's beginning this, as he's beginning this uh, final instruction, he's speaking to that family nature. He's kind of saying, hey, we ask you, brothers, he's earnestly and with affection going to tell them what he's going to say next. He says to respect those who labor among you. So to respect, in essence, this is the Greek, the, the root of this word means to recognize, to honor, to appreciate, to look for ways to cooperate. Those who labor among you. Listen, that word labor is to work diligently. It's to toll. What was interesting is I was studying this, it was to feel fatigue. Can I just simply remind you this morning that even in week one, ministry is hard work. There are days where I feel what's going on. There are days when I sit down. I don't have to worry about if I can go to sleep. I just have to sit down in my chair and get still for about two or three minutes, and I'm asleep, and they love my family loves to take pictures of me asleep. I have no clue why, but whatever. I hope they don't do that to you. But, hey, those who labor, who work diligently, they feel the fatigue among you and are over you. They preside, they stand before you, in the Lord. And listen, here's one of my responsibilities, to admonish you. Admonish you. What does it mean to admonish? That I've got to caution you. I've got to warn you. I've got to counsel you in the ways of the Lord, of what you're doing in your life, of how to take next steps with Jesus and how to find a relationship, a deeper abiding relationship with him and also with one another. But I must do that gently. Now, as I reminded my dad was in the last service, I'm a And so more men, they, um, you know, were just cut from a different cloth. And so one of the things is my dad was not uh, physically abusive, but let me tell you what. My dad, I said this in front of him, and I'll say it to you. My dad, he could get your attention with tones and words. Amen? He, he, he would get your attention, and you would know he wasn't playing by what he said, how he said it, and how it was delivered. And so again, though, I have to remember, and I'm thankful for Crispy who invited me to a men's conference, and in that season I was in, to be reminded that Jesus says that I'm gentle and lowly. If we're going like gen- to be like Jesus, then we need to be what? Gentle and lowly. We need to be humble. In essence, we need to be humble. We need to be gentle. Now, guess what? Sometimes, as Paul is doing, sometimes he's trying to ignite that flame. Sometimes you're going to have to turn up the heat a little bit. Amen. There, there's church discipline. There's also going to another brother in Christ and, and, and going to him one-on-one. And if there's still an issue, you take another, right? That's, that's biblically what we do of, of reconciliation within the body. So we're to admonish you. And, to, and then he says, and to esteem them very highly in love. In essence, for Austin, for myself, that you're to esteem us in high regard, in love, because of their work. That you 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 got to hold back critical comments. You got to you got to you know. I'm going to talk about some of the things that you can do and how you can apply this. But it's because of the work. Ministry is a life of work. You know, for some people, and I don't think y'all necessarily, but if it is you, then let's myth busters this morning okay i don't just come to church at 9 and 11 and then i go home and like sit on the computer and sit on my sofa and hang out by the pool all week right like ministry is work there's conversations there's meetings there's planning there's praying there's studying so paul's concern here is to stress the labor involved with pastoral ministry as hard work Can I remind you this morning, if there's no vision and clarity of where we're going, then you won't follow, and I know that. Right, there's been times in my life where before I've, I've, you know, cast a vision, I've told people what we wanted to do, and, and I go out and I start walking, and then I turn around and I'm like, where's everybody at? I'm just taking a walk. But I think about people like Mr. Harry Brewer, as we shared at his homegoing service, that what? There are going to be times, and the story in his life that we shared at his homegoing service was this. There was a time where there was a revival service happening down the hill, and his commanding officer said, look, I'm going to give you guys leave, and you can go down the hill. And everybody kind of sat there. They were like the frozen chosen. Nobody wanted to move. And the story that I was told was this. That some time had passed and Mr. Harry Brewer. Nobody else got up, but he did. And he began to walk down the hill to go to that revival. And somewhere along the way, I don't know how far, but he got going. And then something made him turn around. And when he turned around, there were other people following The application of that story today is sometimes in Christendom, in our Christian walk and Christian life, there are going to have to be times when we take a stand, when we stand up, when we start moving in a certain direction, and nobody might not be behind us, but I want to remind you this morning that we don't go alone, that Christ is always with us. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So sometimes you're going to have to stand up, and you're going to have to stand up for what is right, and nobody else might be standing beside you or behind you. Eventually, maybe they may, the Lord may send others to, to strengthen you, to encourage you, to spur you on. But you sometimes you're going to have to stand up and make that, that cast for yourself. Hallelujah. So listen, as your pastors, Austin and I labor in various ways. For me, a very specific task that I have is studying, teaching, and preaching the Word of God, preparing messages. But for both of us, what do we do? There's visiting the sick and the shut-ins. There's counseling. There's instructing and training. There's, in essence, making disciples. We're baptizing. We're marrying and burying you and your loved ones. But I also want to remind you this morning as we talk about the work of ministry that there's, always, there's also a weight that comes along with ministry. You see, y'all, I feel it, I carry it, and I grieve over it. It's both mental and emotional, sometimes physical. And I just pen these words and just hear my heart as I wrote in my notes. Sometimes it is no easy task dealing with my own sins and shortcomings and then adding the sins and shortcomings in your life, your marriages, and your relationships. However, I know what I signed up for. Amen. People, I got asked recently at the senior adult luncheon, how do I know that I was called to preach? Well, guess what? They got a really long answer and I eventually got to the point, but y'all get the short condensed version today. I know I was called to preach because God kept giving me opportunities. Even when I would take myself out of the way, even though I would go and be on the sidelines for a season of healing, a season of rest, the Lord would give me other opportunities. I just get random calls from pastors to say, hey, will you come speak at my men's fellowship? Will you, will you come speak? I'm going to see my new grandbaby who was just born. I want to go spend the weekend with her and my daughter and my son-in-law. Will you come and preach for me? Yes. So how do I know I'm called to preach? Because God kept giving me opportunities to, to, to preach and to teach His Word. But here's the thing. I cannot and I will not do it in my own strength, in my own might, in my own wisdom. I must do it in the Lord's. If I build it, if you build it, we have to sustain it. If God builds it, he sustains it. You hear that? As we go forward in the days ahead, if it's us, and as Scripture says, if in all things, he doesn't have preeminence, if it ain't about Jesus, then we need to stop doing it. I don't care how big of a sacred cow it is. Is it about Jesus? Is it about connecting people with him and with one another? If it's not, then we don't need to do it why because then we were like no other we're like every other civic organization that exists listen it's hard work but i'm not afraid of hard work thanks to my dad right he taught me what it was like to work hard he was self employed and he worked hard and he showed me what hard work meant so really quickly paul goes on to say he says be at peace among yourselves when i saw that and i was studying i wrote down this word in the margin tensions Tensions. When when there's leadership, there will always be tensions. There will always be tension. We just live through a season of our lives that none of us asked for, nor did we sign up for. Your deacons, Pastor Austin, they led in a fabulous way. You know why? Because there's no book that they can run down to the bookstore or go on Amazon and find that says how to lead through a pandemic. There was no manual for how to do that. And so I think as believers that we have to extend grace and love and encourage and you'll see what else we're supposed to do with our leaders as well so when there's leadership there's always going to be tension can i remind you this morning that when there's people there's drama it doesn't matter whether it's your friend group whether it's your office suite mates whether it's your family whether it's you and your best girlfriends or you and your buddies hanging out anytime there are people there is drama trust me i know we were part of a church plant all four families, if everybody showed up, there were 13 people. We had drama with 13 people. It's just the nature of human beings. It's the nature of who we are. It's our sin nature. So in essence, what Paul is saying, that we should be searching for ways to get along. Also, in my notes, I wrote this, that there should be mutual humility and unified focus on Christ. We have to humble ourselves. And there must be unified focus on Christ. One of the things we're doing and and some of y'all were there that night in the contentious meeting where I cast my vision and one of the questions that was asked was what? How do we unify the church? Well, I came back the next week after studying and seeking the Lord and said, look, hey, we're not going to create unity. Jesus does. We can foster it and help it, but ultimately it's going to be Him. And so what what did you hear Austin talk about this morning? The end of this month, we're doing a combined worship service. Why? To unify the church. There are some of y'all, you never seen some of the people across the street and vice versa. And we need to be about building bridges and helping love and encourage one another. It's not us versus them. It's not first service versus second service. We're together on the same team. The message, Eugene Peterson typically don't preach from the message because it is a paraphrase. I will typically read that in my, in my quiet time. But as I study for messages, occasionally I will glance at what he has to say. And listen to how he translated this verse. He says, To honor those leaders who work hard for you, who have been given the responsibility of urging and guiding you along in your obedience. Overwhelm them with appreciation and love. Can I just, can I just stand before you this morning and say, I know y'all, y'all have overwhelmed me with love and appreciation. And Pastor Austin, let me tell you what, Pastor Appreciation Month, wow, that was amazing. Because you know what, I've been in places and I've been in seasons where Pastor Appreciation Month, Pastor's Wives Appreciation Month came and went and we didn't get as much as a thank you, you know, nothing, not a smile, not we appreciate what you do, nothing. So you guys really showed up and showed out when it came time for that, thank you. And Kristen, apologize that we missed pastor's wives month but next year it's going to be on the calendar we're going to show you some love and appreciation along with my wife as well amen so y'all don't forget that y'all keep me straight hold me accountable let's get it on the calendar let's love them too they put up with us they keep us straight they spur us on so listen honestly here's the thing you might say well this is a self-serving message no it's not i want you to see what thus saith the word of god that I have duties and responsibilities, be glad to show it to you because the committee read them as I was being considered. I'm going to keep them before me. You know why? Because it's sobering of what I'm called to do and who I'm called to be. This is a message for you. This is a message of what you're called to do. So here's the thing. Pastors are expected to do a lot, but there are some things that you should be doing as well. We've already touched on that. You've seen the responsibilities from the text. And now I want to give you quickly, very quickly, four things that your pastors need from you. There are three P's and an E. Three P's and an E. I'm going to run through these very quickly. If you haven't already, please make sure that you're praying for me and Austin on a regular basis. Why? Because the work of the Lord can never be done in man's strength and ability alone. Each of us, each of y'all must be seeking heaven, must be seeking Jesus. Matthew six thirty three: Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And we must be asking God to work in our lives, in our families, in his church, and in the lives of your pastors. Billy Sunday, an evangelist from the early 20th century, once said, If you are strangers to prayer, you are strangers to power. If you're strangers to prayer, you're strangers to power. Just like my grandfather, I ran across one of his Bibles in bold letters. I did the same in the front of my Bible. Right here, opening page of my Bible, it says, Pray for power. That's not that I would be powerful, not that I would be in control, but what, that he might have preeminence and that he might work in a way that we can't even imagine because Ephesians says what, that he can do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. We want to be praying for him to do what we can, amen? We want to be praying for his power to be manifest in our lives and in the life of this church. Let's get to praying, y'all. The work of the Lord cannot be done without prayer. You hear me? It cannot. If you want to see God's power working in your church, pray for your church, pray for your pastors as they lead you. I believe you heard me say it time and time again when we pray specifically, God answers specifically. When I close in prayer in just a few minutes, I can say, Lord, bless these people. Can the Lord bless you? Absolutely. But if we know of a specific need and a specific thing happening in your life and we call out to Almighty God with boldness, because He says we can come before the throne bold, right? If we cry out bold, and then he shows up and he shows out, then we know he answered our prayer, amen? And sometimes, like Garth Brooks, we're thankful that he didn't answer the prayers. We're thankful for those unanswered prayers, but we should pray them anyway. So pray specifically, pray often, pray for your pastors and their families, pray for us to have wisdom and discernment and focus. Pray that hearts and lives may be changed for the glory of God. So pray, pray. Secondly, you know what's missing from the church today? Patience. Patience. Patience with each other, patience with leaders, patience with pastors. If you're not sure that I or Austin, or especially me as your lead pastor, if you're not sure that I've truly gotten direction from the Lord, you know what I want you to do? I want you to repeat step one, pray. When was the last time you prayed? As you pray, be patient. God will answer prayers in his timing, not ours. Isaiah says in Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, he says for, of the Lord, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Hey, how about this? What do you have to lose by asking God to show you if your pastor is headed in the right direction? Or to show you where you could be wrong? Is it personal preference? Or is it the fact that we're we're seeking the Lord that His will may be done on earth as it is in heaven? That the kingdom may come on earth as it is in heaven. Because, y'all, he, he came to build the kingdom. The church is a tool that he uses that to do. So when in doubt, pray. When unsure, be patient. God can work in your waiting. And there's one thing the Moors can tell you, that God grows us most while we wait. You want to know stories of how we know? Come talk to me. I'll be glad to glorify God through our story of how he's grown us in times of waiting. If you're in a season of waiting right now, waiting for answers about your health, about your finances, about the future in your employment, about something happening in your family, a relationship with a loved one, can I just tell you to hold on? Keep praying, keep waiting, keep trusting, keep being patient, praying the Lord will show up. So we need to pray, we need to be patient. Now, here's the thing, here's where the rubber meets the road. As your pastor, I'm praying, I'm reading, I'm studying, I'm seeking God's wisdom and clarity for the direction he would have for Bethel to go. And listen, my hope and prayer are that you'll step out of your comfort zone, that you'll take next steps and participate in what God is doing in our midst. See, y'all, I'm not looking, we and me, y'all, we're not looking for a crowd, we're to do it for that one. Can I tell you a story really quickly? There was a time where I hosted a group at my house, and I put it on Facebook, and I texted some people, and I invited some people, and it started at 6 o'clock. 6.05 came, 6.10 came. Somewhere between 6.10 and 6.15, there was one guy who was there that whole time. Let me just be as lovingly as I know how. He wasn't the sharpest crown in the box. And I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what am I supposed to do? He said, you do it anyway. You love him. He came. He wants to connect with you and to connect with me. Do it. You go through like this room was full. Do it for one. There are going to be things that you guys step out in faith to do. Maybe nobody comes. Maybe one comes. Do it for that one. Again, in growing up making disciples who make disciples, Robbie Gallaty said what? The gospel came to you because it was headed to someone else. That God had never intended your salvation to be an end but a beginning. And God saved you to be a conduit. Saved you to be a conduit through whom his glorious, life-changing gospel would flow to others. My friend, are, you're a conduit. Are you willing? Are you open? Are you able? Or are you allowing the Lord to use you? It doesn't say you're pastor, but it says You. And I want, I've come this morning, and maybe if you hear nothing else from this message, what does God want to do in and through you? What does God want to do in and through you? Maybe you need to begin to pray, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Lord, give me a burden. Point me in the right direction. If you don't know how to participate, ask. Have a conversation. God is calling us to be his hands and his feet, and that requires your participation. Listen, I'm not asking you to do everything and be here every time the doors are open. I'm asking you to pray and to look for ways to use your gifts and your personality to participate in what God is doing here in Bethel. Can I quickly share with you just several ways this past? I had nothing to do with any of these things I'm about to share with you. Nothing. I didn't ask for them. I didn't tell them go do it, it just got done. This past week, what happened? Meals were prepared and served for a grieving family. Offices were painted. Ceiling tiles were fixed. An AC unit was installed. DBS decorations were set up, and, and DBS volunteers were studying their material, preparing for tonight. What does God want to do through you? Last but not least, I just want to encourage you. You know, a lot of times, Austin and I got with some pastors recently. A lot of times you get with a group of pastors and the first thing out of their mouth is, how many of you running? How many of y'all got coming? I'd heard this question before, but it was a zinger. Y'all hear me talk about that sometimes, a little zinger in the conversation. Lord, pierce my heart as another pastor. I don't even remember which one shared it. But he said, the question we should be asking is, what is God doing at your church? What is God doing in your midst what is God doing in your life share it can I remind you too so often people come up and they'll tell me hey great message pastor I appreciate that but what I always say if you ever told me something like that I always say what I'm just a vessel he gets the glory I'm just a vessel you know what I'd rather see I'd rather see like some of you who have come up to me and said, Pastor, you shared that message and and I got in a car with my spouse and as we drove away from church, I was wrestling with what you were saying. It it didn't make sense to me. That we're to love those who have hurt others, we're to love those people that have, have done wrong? Yeah. Because God loves them. Because there's nobody too far gone, nobody too far away that God can't save. What is God doing in your life and in your heart? So in closing, ask yourself, have I been praying for my pastor? Have I been patient with him? Have I participated alongside him in the work of the Lord? Have I shared the stories of how God is working in my life, the next steps that I'm taking? Sobering reminder from God's Word, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 13, verse 7, Remember your leaders... Those who spoke to you the word of God and considered their way of life and imitate their faith. Friends, I carry that with me every day. Y'all, I'm just going to stand before you this morning and say already in the last 16 months, I've, I've messed up. I've sinned. I've missed the mark. And going forward, there'll probably be times where I have to come back before you and say that again but it's a sobering reminder of what the work that Austin and I have been called to. But you know what? As far as we've tried to run and other things we've tried to do, the Lord just keeps pulling us back. Keeps pulling us back. And so I pray you'd maybe be like, maybe you'd be like the first youth group I ever served, a bunch of young people. You know what they used to pray? Lord, use Pastor Chris as a megaphone of your love. That's a prayer they prayed one time. So pray for me in Austin that we may be vessels of hope and encouragement. And my prayer is this. You pray for me, and I'll pray for you. Even if you don't pray for me, guess what? I'm praying for you. Well, let's pray for one another. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Father, I thank you for the truth that Paul wrote some 2,000 years ago. Lord, as we come and... This June of 2022, Lord, your word's still living and active. Lord, it's still reminding us what we're called to do. Lord, I'm called to admonish these people, to spur them on, to warn them, to caution them. Father, I pray that, Lord, for me and Austin, that they would pray, that they would be patient. Lord, they would participate. Lord, that we would love and encourage one another. Lord, the day is, is getting dark. Lord, that's why you've called me to be a Barnabas, to be a son of encouragement. So, Father, I pray as we make much of Jesus here at Bethel in services just like this, Lord, that people would be encouraged. Lord, that your spirit would draw them, would woo them to you, and they may realize like I did some 10 years ago, Lord, that I can't do it on my own, that I need you. As we shared at the funeral on Friday, Lord, maybe we've come to the end of ourselves, and we cry out in mercy and say, Lord, just like the publican, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Father, I pray today if there's one here that doesn't know you, Lord, and never accepted you as their personal Lord and Savior, I, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. I pray they'd grab my hand, grab Austin's hand. Lord, pull us aside after this, before they leave. Lord, if they need prayer, I pray they'd come, and we'd pray together, Lord, for where two or three in in agreement, Lord, that you'll answer, that you'll hear our prayers. Lord, help us to be patient with one another. Lord, help us to learn and to grow and to become the men and women, boys and girls that you've called us to be. That we may have an impact, Lord, that we may learn to be with you and then go and be and act like Jesus to those you place in our path. Lord, I pray as we leave here today, Lord, help us to chew on what we've heard. We've received it, Lord. Now let us respond to what you're calling us to do. To be your hands, to be your feet, to be those vessels and conduit of hope in a lost and dying world. Father, we give you all the glory, all the praise, all the honor. Lord, we pray for our vacation Bible school that starts tonight. We pray for these precious boys and girls that will be coming. Lord, pray that they'll know that there's a Savior who loves them. Lord, I pray for the salvation of those young ones. Lord, I thank you for those that are teaching, Lord, serving, doing crafts, and helping with food, and opening the doors, playing games. Lord, pray they may see that there's someone who loves them far greater than anyone as before. May your love shine brightly in the coming days during our Vacation Bible School. Lord, we give you all the praise of what you're going to do and what we'll celebrate next Sunday. Father, we ask all this in the mighty and precious name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.